Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Sports Day. Yes, welcome back to Sports Day for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Going further for Australian farmers, find your local branch at nutrient.com.au. Bryce, you might hear in my voice, I have a pep in my step because I've always wanted to be on air with the following man. It's taken about, I reckon, five or six years of backroom talks and negotiations, (laughs) and we're finally here. And the Decades Rewind has been hugely enlightening over the past couple of weeks, for me at least, my Granddad spoke about the 1930s and 40s. Brownlee medalist Peter Bedford had the 50s and 60s. Dad yesterday was the 1970s. He'll do the 1980s. He did the 1980s yesterday as well. While Georgie Parker, she joined us a little bit earlier for a special show in the 90s. But tonight, right now, let's talk about 2000 to 2010. And one man who remembers it like it was yesterday is one of the hosts of the driver's seat on SEN, Nims Azor. Nims, welcome to Sports Day. Tommy, Bryce, it's an absolute pleasure to join you guys. And yes, it has been years and years of negotiation. And finally, I've finally got you cornered there, Tommy. Yeah. Bryce has already been subjected to having to share a microphone with me for a couple of years. But yeah, now you it's bet. your turn. Oh, Limbs, I'm, I can't wait. I don't really know where to start. So let's just start really broad. What are your favorite memories of watching early 2000s sport live, being at the ground at the stadium? Well, it's actually funny you mention that because the early 2000s, it was, I don't know if you remember this, but Bryce, you'd know this very well. 2003, the MCG was getting redeveloped and I can still remember seeing half of the MCG demolished when I was watching Australia versus Sri Lanka, (laughs) way up in the cheap seats because this was well before I was an MCC member. Uh, I think I was still into year, probably 20 of, of the waiting list, but yeah, it's memories like that. Even just, it used to be the the era where if you had a Met card, now listeners in Melbourne might remember Met cards. If you had one, you could go see a Bush Rangers game for free. That's how awesome watching live sport was back in the day. What a great sponsorship deal that was uh, that they pulled together. (laughs) Just use your Met card and you're in the door. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly was. And the other thing too is I was very lucky that I was able to be in a decade that I got to see three Olympic games and... In Sydney 2000, I was in year 10. I was still working at IGA. I remember someone brought in the, a TV, plonked it on the service desk, and we would all, under the guise of being patriotic, just stop working and, and just go up and watch, and watch the TV. <laughs> I remember Athens 2004. The big, the big joking point was, are they going to have all of this stuff built in time? Mm. That's exactly and then right. in 2008, for Beijing, it was just... It was so organised. It was rigid. It was fantastic. Well, it was 2000 Olympics, wasn't it, Nims, where I guess Australia really put themselves on the on the international map of 
how to do it. The best ever Olympic Games, as uh, we probably coined it ourselves. But uh, Juan Antonio Samaranch, I think, was the, the boss of the ICC, and he said that at the closing ceremony. It was an amazing Olympics, wasn't it, Bryce? It was, and uh, obviously some highlights in terms of Cathy Freeman, but just the way Australia got around it, not only from just watching it and, and being across every sport and probably becoming an expert in every sport we all did, but um, it was also the, the fact that people were volunteering, and I think that was what made the experience so different. It brought the country together, Nims. What were your memories of that Olympics? So I, I remember that vividly because, like, it really was us on the stage. And always, I remember Barcelona in Atlanta, and it wasn't – as big as Sydney 2000 was because everyone was focused on us. And I think it was one of the first times people could see that Australia wasn't like Crocodile Dundee. In fact, going to your point about Juan Antonio saying that this was the best Olympics, it was hilarious because when all the talk about Athens not being ready was, there was legitimate chatter. And I'm sure we pumped it up uh, in our neck of the woods where it was like, what if they have to take it back to Sydney? Yeah. Give it back to Sydney for another year. We're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually remember some chat more recently around the Commonwealth Games. Well, if, if we can't have it in regional Victoria, maybe we can go to the Gold Coast. Maybe we can go somewhere else. I mean, the Commonwealth Games are a different kettle of fish, and we do digress. Nims, this is a subject very close to your heart, I know, because we've spoken about it off air a number of times, and including at the STN Christmas party. Your favourite <laughs> obscure footballer and cricketer from the 2000s. So when it comes to footballer, it's pretty simple because I'm a St Kilda supporter and I was just a huge fan of Justin Peckett, (laughs) mainly because I'm actually very good friends with his mum. Number one. Um, (laughs) He's a a Karingal boy as well. So he's kind of relatively in my neck of the woods. Uh, So I was always that. But when it comes to obscure cricketers, Man, the 2000s were absolutely full of it. The amount of chats that I've had with my mates about, you know, why Ashley Nofke should be playing for Australia. <laughs> How come, when's Luke Pommers back going to get a go? Yeah, he got a game. You know? He got a game yeah, in well, there, didn't he? Just. Well, yeah, just. Two even years like, in, I, like, I think know, he was. <laughs> I remember when Mark Cosgrove got to play one one day in Bangladesh. Mm. We were all just like, could Cosy finally get a run here? You had guys like, you know, Dominic Thornley, Brett Jeeves, who even does some stuff for SEN now. There was just that many people knocking at the door. And that's why I still think that that was probably the greatest time, not just for Australian cricket, but for Australian, like, for world cricket. It was one of the best times to become a cricket fan. Bryce, how does it feel that contemporaries of yours and really good players in their own right, who you played ING Cup against, Pure Milk Cup, um, Sheffield Shield, clearly, uh, I don't know what else was there. The Ryobi Cup, all players that are of a high standard that level, we refer to as obscure. Well, I'd probably put my hand up. I'm in the obscure group as well as a, a one-test player and, uh, and, and, and part of that. But I guess it was, uh, it was an era where maybe Australia just weren't sure about their cricketers. They knew they yep. had to replace some, so they gave a lot of people a taste of the action. And there were so many of us that had a, a little bite-sized hors d'oeuvre, if you like. But we wanted, we all wanted to sit down at the main course for a long period of time and have the feast. But yeah. we all just got a little taste of it. And, and Nims, I do remember uh, it must have been very early 2000s because I think it was out of vogue by the mid-2000s. Sunday Mercantile Mitchell Cup was a thing, wasn't it? You'd wake up on a Sunday and you'd see Stuart Clark bowling to Clinton Perrin. I, it used to be great because one of my first memories of like domestic cricket was watching the old FAI Cup back in the day. And I just remember seeing, blown away by yes. seeing like, you know, David Boone 
facing up against Paul Rife. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. Why, why are our favourites going up against each other? And yeah, it, that's what sort of got me hooked. But And going on your point too, Bryce, it really was, uh, it was, while the Australian team was so dominant, there was also a lot of like shakiness too, because Warney had just left the test team as well. And you mentioned yourself, there was a lot of people that were trying to fill shoes of greats and they did mm. great jobs, but they just weren't, you know, how do you fill the shoes of Shane Warne? It, you felt for guys like, you know, yourself, Stewie McGill, uh, Xavier Doherty, Nathan Horitz, you know, guys like uh, Brad Hogg, even Cameron White, the great Cameron White, who I still reckon got robbed of a pure and long Australian test career, mm. was picked to fill in for Warney's shoes. And it was just, it was, we were spoilt. We were absolutely spoilt for choice. And the fact that Brad Hodge to this day, still has only played six tests, is a crime to humanity. Yeah, and now he's sitting on a shelf on uh, Broadcaster's Station uh, at the moment, so as Elf on the Shelf for Christmas. But um, one of the things, it, it was the era also of state versus state. T20 just arrived in yeah. domestic cricket, and it was state versus state. Nims, what are your memories of, of, of how that, that type of operation? Because it was a completely new game. We, th- we see it nowadays every other week. It's on mm. all the time, and we've got a flood of it. But... It's when it first came to Australia, our shores. Yeah, the original Big Bash where Victoria, I should point out, absolutely dominated. Yeah. In fact, one of my greatest memories was watching uh, Aiden Blizzard at the Wacker. Yeah. I can't remember who the bowler was, but he smacked it out of the ground into the nets. In fact, you were part of you were actually in that you were part of that playing eleven that won that. Uh, that was a three peat for Victoria as well, if I recall. It was uh, Victoria won four of the first five Big Bash franchises. Did you play that day? Played that day, and the com- I think the commentator might have been oh, I stand correct. Someone will be able to tell us, but um, and they they commented that it, that's gone three hundred meters. It takes yeah. ten minutes to walk to the nets um, from yeah. the change rooms. He's belted a ball that far. It takes ten minutes. It was it was pretty staggering, and uh, we, I, I guess the, the way that, the reason why Victoria was so good is because we had players that spent a lot of time in England. So we had Dave Hussey, Cameron White, yep. Brad Hodge, um, Andrew McDonald, and they've all gone over and played, and so they had the taste of T Twenty and how to do it. Yep. And when it came over here, and there was a trophy to be won, our coach Greg Shippard said, "Hey, we're going out to win this." And while other states are playing uh, NRL legends yeah. um, like Joey Johns and things like that with New South Wales, yeah. we, we were actually going about it because it was a trophy to be won. And uh, I'm really grateful for the, the guys that brought over that knowledge yeah. and then Greg Shippard who embraced it so um, readily uh, straight away. I, I do often wonder, Nims, if the BBL had remained um, state-based, whether it would be more tribal and whether more people would be going to games now because it would be Victoria versus South Australia and versus New South Wales. But I also recall Victoria getting in some international imports, Bryce. I remember Dwayne Bravo. Yes. I remember the English wicketkeeper. Pryor. Matt Pryor coming out as well. Yep. And so, Nims, these were times that we were still feeling what we wanted our um, identity to be as a domestic cricket competition. I remember the rumor mill. In fact, if you dig deep into my uh, into my Twitter, there's some tweets from 2009 where I think I was just absolutely cursing New South Wales because they had the audacity to sign Brendan McCullum for one game for the final, oh, did they? Uh, which was at which, which, which was at Homebush. In fact, the the rumor mill was going so bad that time we were thinking, well, Victoria's Bush Rangers will just get Gilly or they'll bring back Warney or something. But in the end, I think it was Ross Taylor that. Um, the oh, yes, indeed, we did. We did wow. indeed. So, so they had Taylor, Pryor, 
and Dwayne Bravo. Greg Shepard went global, didn't he, Bryce? Amazing. <laughs> hey, uh, Nims, the most famous Australian sports person in 2005. Who was that? Oh, that's... that's I, I If we're talking international, I'd love to say Ricky Ponting, but was that around the era where Leighton Hewitt was kind of stamping his... He was probably past he, it by then, to be honest. I mean, he played in the Australian yeah. Open final... I think it was 05, he lost to Marit Safin, but he certainly yep. he'd won all his majors by then, so he'd be right up there. It's, t- it, it's too late for Pat Rafter now. Like, he was more like way late 90s, early 2000s. Thorpe? What about Ian Thorpe? Yeah, actually, yeah, because we were still dominating in the pool. Yeah. What, what about the most um, famous, or what about the most high profile AFL player at that point in 2005? Remembering this was at the time that Sydney and West Coast was their rivalry was the hottest and just on the very back end of the Brisbane and Port Adelaide era. It had to be like your Ben Cousins and, uh, and Chris Judd at that time, wouldn't it? Or yeah. even Barry. I still remember seeing Barry Hall play for um, when he when he actually raised the cup. I just remember being that, that you know, St Kilda supporter that just really wanted one of our players to actually wear a, a, a St Kilda Guernsey and hold up a cup for once. That'd be great. But um, yeah, it's... That was also a great era for AFL too, because who who will never forget the 2004 grand final? Now, Tommy, I don't know how well you could remember that, but very well. It was, but the best in the lead up to that grand final, because it was the first granny that didn't have a Victorian team in it. Mm. People were thinking, "Oh, no one will turn up. Who's going (laughs) to who's going to go see Port versus Brisbane?" Oh, and lo and behold. was it Andrew Demetrio at the time who was uh, the boss? He was like, well, I told you guys, national competition. Yeah. Yeah, and Andrew Demetrio was a controversial figure at the time, Bryce, because he criticised the way the Sydney Swans played. I think it was the next yeah. year. And there was real beef between the AFL and the Swans. The Swans played a Dow brand, which was successful. And if you look at Brisbane and Port, I mean, Port Brisbane were going for four in a row. Port had won, I think, two or three minor premierships in a row. So they both... Felt like they were favourites into that game. But the storyline was really Mark Choco Williams, wasn't it? And the chokers tag that was around Port Adelaide and around his neck and that iconic image nims of him holding up his tie around his neck was almost as iconic as Grant Thomas and Lenny Hayes refusing to smile when they won the Wizard Home Loans Cup. <laughs> that Wizard Cup victory. And then I think yeah, they all went to go see Independence Day or, or he took them to a movie or something oh, afterwards. Which was part of the... Part of, that was 2004, though, had a lot of optimism for Sakilda uh, supporters. We had the streak, 10 games at the start of the season. Yeah. It started off with like Geelong, Essendon, Richmond, mm. Adelaide at Football Park. We beat them. Then the Roos, the Lions. It all ended with Sydney at the uh, SCG. And I think it took a couple more rounds before we bounced back. But... And it was always, to me, and I say this to Kane Corns numerous times, one of the most heartbreaking images that I have is of him cheering after the 2004 yeah. prelim and Robert Harvey looks so crestfallen. Famous, famous image. Uh, that, that was a really famous one. I think that was, there's a really famous um, YouTube clip, The Decade That Was. It's a Channel 10 montage and it starts off with Tim Lane's voice and I think it's got um, Hunters and Collectors and another song in there as well. Oh no, maybe you too. If you look it up on YouTube, you can't help but have goosebumps. And one of the most iconic images there as well, Nims, is when Michael Voss is playing in a grand final against Scott Burns. Scott Burns bumps Voss to the ground. Voss gets up, gives a handball away. Someone kicks the goal. It might, have been, Simon, goal. might have been Simon Black on you his left. And Voss gets in his face. And you can't help but get goosebumps. I've got energy now speaking about it. <laughs> yeah, it was that 
that was the kind of imagery that we sort of had back in the then. And I know that I've talked a lot about cricket and we've talked a lot about AFL, mm. but and any regular listeners of SEN would know me for my work on the driver's seat. It was also an iconic time in motorsport as well. It was when Tony Cochran um, took the reins of V8 supercars. That's where we had that iconic sort of um, bit of biff too with like Marcus Ambrose and Greg Murphy getting out of their cars at Bathurst and like oh, yeah. really going, taking the helmets yeah. off and going nose to nose. And it was an era where the Holden racing team dominated as well. Mark Scaife had a trio of um, championships. That was where Craig Lance and Jamie Wincup sort of cemented themselves as Australian motorsport greats. But we were really spoiled for choice when it comes to uh, sports back in the 2000s. I mean, Olympics, great footy, great cricket, swimming, tennis. Like, it was the best decade of sport, full stop. Wow, big call. I, I I agree, and I think it kicked off with that the, the introduction, which was the the Olympics, and got everyone around their sport even more. It was really a collective part. Formula One Nims um, was in in a transition time as well to try and level things up a bit. Yeah, it was. It was still towards the heyday of sort of Schumacher as well. But mm. yeah, you did kind of see that uh, that little transition. And it's funny watching you know guys like Lewis Hamilton in you know 07 08 09 where they look nothing like they do now and you're just like who would have thought that you'd go on to be you know a modern day great yeah and that's that's what's so funny when you look back at that decade and you realize just how spoiled for choice you were what about golf i look at tiger woods in particular in the early 2000s so he won five or more titles in 10 separate calendar years. Now, one of those calendar years was 1999. The rest were 2000, 01, 02, 03, 05, 06, 07, 09, and 13. So we know that he fell off a perch as well. But for a period there, there was no more dominant sports person in the world, was there? You could not walk past a a shaving cream aisle and not see his face with Roger Federer uh, slapped on a Gillette um, can, I can tell and, you that. And, that, and who was the was third? A... Who was the soccer player? Do you remember? I don't. It was Thierry Henry was the soccer player. There you go. Yeah, amazing. Um, so Woods's largest winning victory was 15 shots. This is the one I remember the most. At the US Open in 2000, he was 12 under par. Ernie Els was next on three over. It was the most ridiculous major performance of all time. So Tiger Woods and Roger Federer, you'd have to say, were the two most famous sports per- people globally when you take out football of the 21st century. But for the first 10 years, Tiger Woods was surely number one. I'd go, I'd say that, and because I'm a big LA Lakers fan, I was a huge fan of Shaquille O'Neal, still am to this day. I think he's one of the strangest analysts you'll get out there. But um, but yeah, because it was part of the the Lakers sort of three-peat at the start of the 2000s, which sort of really made everyone get him front and center in your attention there. And and then later on, of course, he spewed with Kobe when he went to, when he went to um, the Miami Heat. Yeah, I, I... yeah, it, I, for me, it was always Shaq, but I'm talking very tunnel vision when it comes to the uh, the early 2000s. Now, it was, um, you were talking about Tiger Woods. It was uh, so important. That I th- and I think it was in the 2000s that uh, my young son, was a, you know, it was a school, the President's Cup came here. What year yeah. was that, Tom? Do we? Do you remember NIMS? We had the President's Cup in, in uh, at Royal Melbourne. Yeah, so, there's 2011 that, that came ah, here. Ah, right. And, and you just missed, it was 1998, I think, before then as well. So it wasn't oh, in the so decade I'll we're talking mi- about. I missed the block. But anyway, I took my son out of school and yeah. went, this is more important than whatever <laughs> you're going to do at primary school today. As you're you coming to the golf and we're walking around and Did following Tiger. It? Absolutely. And yeah. he still remembers it now. So 
Um, you know, they're the types of things. That's good parenting, I reckon. I reckon that's good parenting. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that your boy, I thought there was that Liam, was it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that he loved that. Um, this might be a question, Nims, that's even closer to your heart than what we've been asking about. What do you remember about the sporting video games of the early 2000s? So when you when you mentioned when you subtly dropped the hint like we could be talking about video games because that is well in my wheelhouse. But yeah. uh, now the most iconic games of that era was you know your Halos on Xbox, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City, and San Andreas. But no, I actually because David King calls me a renowned hoarder because <laughs> I just keep so much stuff. So I went and dug into the archives. And as you can see behind me, there is a lot of crap that I have just kept over the years. Yep. And I managed to find on my PlayStation from the original one, Cricket 2000, yes. the original one wow. for PlayStation. Gilchrist. And and um, AFL 99 as well. So these were two games long before Dennis Cometti did any of the commentary in AFL Premiership 2004. We had Bruce... Bruce and Lee Matthews doing great commentary there. Everyone talks about Shane Warne Cricket 99. Yes. Jonathan Agnew, fantastic. However, you actually had Richie Benno. Richie Benno commentating actual ICC events in Cricket 2000. Where you could just <laughs> absolutely... You could, you could relive the... Uh, the triumph that was Alan Donald forgetting how to run in a semi-final, <laughs> all in the comfort of your home. That's amazing, Nims. I do remember Cricket 02 as well as sort of a, it was a game that took a large step forward in terms of graphics. And I remember thinking to myself, Brett Lee was on the front cover. This is Correct. amazing. This is pretty much realistic, which yep. is laughable now because it's 21 years ago. But the ones that my mates and I still talk about very, uh, very often or, or regularly, Nims, is I think it was was a Brian Lara cricket or Ricky Ponting cricket 05 where the names mm-hmm. were changed. So we had, you know, Glenn McGrath was was G McGrath and Michael Clark was M Clock, etc. So all the names were were different. I was actually trying to dig that one out too because I did have that on Xbox, but I could not find it. It's probably in the shed somewhere, but yeah, that was one of the great ones too. And here's a fun fact for all of all the fans out there that might have Ricky Ponting <laughs> 2005 in their uh, in their, somewhere in their cupboards at home or in the shed, dig it out. If you play the season mode all the way through, you can unlock World Elevens, Asia Elevens, <laughs> Oceania Elevens. There's an all-time eleven. It's just fantastic. But yeah, and the one good thing though, if you did want to play as real players. Ricky Ponting 2005 at least had an ICC Champions Trophy license. So that's the only uh-huh. way you could actually play as real players in that game. Well, well, the good thing was, I reckon uh, all my mates, we, we started uh, calling each other by our own sort of uh, 05 cricket uh, name. What names. was your name? So I was uh, Bruce McGuigan. Bruce McGuigan. <laughs> So we all had our own names, and that's carried on. A few people still calling me McGuigan from time to time. I like Brett Lee was B Leap, yep. <laughs> and I like SGG McGill, McGill was S McGull. I just thought it was, it was, it was also M Clock for yeah. Michael Clark yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, D Merton for Damien Martin. Um, all right, we've got to move on because we don't have very long left, but we can't get through this segment without talking about the 06 World Cup and how significant that was for the Socceroos and heartbreak in the yep. end, but what an amazing event it was in Germany. Yeah. I still remember like John Aloisi, you know, five, that was the moment where I think all Australia, like we talk about what we see with the Matildas now uh, this year during the world cup, that was pretty much ramped up and nuclear back then because you had to go to like fed square and stuff like that. It was very communal. Like, and that's one thing that I do miss about sport from, the 2000s because it was 
very wholesome. Like you, we didn't have the luxury of having KO and, you know, all of these streaming services. It was just literally get all your mates together and go to pubs, go to someone's house, do this, do that. However, you could watch cricket on your three mobile, so you could do that. Remotely. Three mobile, but <laughs> your Motorola as well, the Hello Moto. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, it was one of those things where, and it was a great excuse to catch up with your mates and uh, stay out late watching sport uh, without getting in trouble with your parents. And the 05 Ashes, Bryce, were significant as well. What an amazing series that was. Absolutely. I think I remember the, the panel on SBS was Stuart McGill, um, the host of the back page on Fox, whose name escapes me right now, and also uh, Kerry O'Keefe. It, it was just an amazing series. It was absolutely epic, wasn't it? And it was a must-watch. Uh, it, it was, it, yeah, it was disappointing in some ways, but uh, mm. unbelievable in others. Tony Squires was the, is the host of Backpage, and he was hosting the SBS coverage there. Nims, we could speak about this for, I reckon, another four hours with a couple of ad breaks, and it would be absolutely fine. We appreciate your time. Um, we love talking about this sort of content, and uh, have a great Christmas and New Year. Thank you. Same to you too, boys. But while we do talk about the 2005 Ashes, there is one name that we all have to remember because I'm sure there was many a voodoo doll made around Australia of Gary Pratt. Now, (laughs) the substitute fielder that ran out, Ricky Ricky Ponting. And do you remember Ricky's almighty spray as he's walking back? Yeah, he had a crack at Duncan Fletcher. Uh, Very good reference there, Nims. Thanks so much for your time. This is Sports Day for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric Kia EV9. And Maccas, the Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Maccas. Give us a call on the Harcourt's open line. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourt. That was unbelievable, Bryce. More Sports Day right after this.